hearing. And yet, this similar, often willful desire for independence is at the heart of the problem for this younger son. Because he wants to do his own thing and nothing's going to stop him. So he begins by demanding from his father his share of the estate. And that would have meant that the father would have had to go out and sell a great big chunk of his land in order to give the boy his inheritance. Land was precious. And other landowners would have known what he was doing. And that would have been deeply humiliating for the father. What was meant to happen, you see, was when the father in the story died, two-thirds of his estate would have gone to his older son. And one-third of his estate would have gone to the younger son. So by demanding the inheritance early, the younger son, by wanting that one-third now, is basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I want to be completely independent from you. I want everything you've got for me now, and I want to leave this home and this family. Now, in the Middle East at the time, a father's reaction to a request like that normally would frankly be to kick his son out, to drive him away, refuse his request. But the father in this story doesn't rebuke his son, doesn't even argue, doesn't refuse. He divides his property up, divides his wealth, sells off his land, and gives a third to his younger son. And he brings shame upon himself and loses respect in his community. But the younger son doesn't care. He has what he wants and he sets off into the world to live independently with no further thought for the family he's left behind. He's got no intention of returning. He is no longer having to abide by those boring family rules. He's no longer having to live under the religious and moral beliefs that he's grown up with. He's going to what the passage calls a distant country. And that's a place where the God of Israel would not be honoured or known. It's somewhere other than where he came from. And there he squanders his wealth in wild, or as in another Bible version says, loose living. We don't know exactly what that means, but he wastes his money every penny of it. And if you look, the older son seems to suggest in verse 30 that he wastes it on prostitutes, amongst other things. And certainly the implication is that the younger son has used this money for his own short-term immediate pleasure. Maybe sex, drinking, parties, maybe buying friends, maybe just buying clothes and lots of stuff to impress others. We don't really know. But the heart of the son's problem is his willful desire to be independent from the father who loves him. To move away from where he belongs and to live with no reference to his family. Believing he's in charge of his own destiny, his own happiness, and can make decisions for himself. That might sound familiar to some of you. Doesn't that sound like sin? Like what the Bible calls sin? Isn't that what Adam and Eve do in the garden in Genesis? They want to do their own thing. They make their own choices. Surely that's why they eat the fruit. They ignore God. And isn't that what we do pretty much every day? In our nature, we just want to do our own thing. Live independently 
from the one who loves, loves us, who's made us and knows what's good for us. Because we want to decide how we spend our money, what we do with our time, who we have a relationship. It's about us. We think we know what we need. We think we know what we deserve and what we want. Indeed, there was a, an author who sums up what I think many people in our world would say today. We must help ourselves. After destiny has delivered what it delivers, we are responsible for our own lives. That's what the world thinks. It's down to us. That's what the young man wanted. He wanted to be responsible for his own life. The fact is that we are all younger brothers at heart, doing our own thing. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We look to the world for what we think we need to bring us happiness, to bring us purpose. And we're effectively saying the same thing. Father God, God, I, I don't want anything to do with you. I just want to turn my back and do my own thing. It's ironic, I think, that we are often so not interested in the one who'd made us, and yet we really want to make the most of the world that we live in, the world that he has made. We want to take advantage of it, get the most out of it. We long for loving relationships. We want to be satisfied in our work. We want money to build security, and we want a good life, and we want family that we love. We want to enjoy traveling and the beauty of our creation. And yet we've already heard in our prayers and this morning that we actually have trashed the world. We've spoiled relationships. We've wasted money. We've damaged creation. We've misused power. We've trodden over the weak and the poor to get what we want. And we've lacked love. And at times, we might not even notice, but at times we also experience the hurt and the brokenness, and the sadness, and the hopelessness of what it means to live in a broken world. Our Father is, our Heavenly Father is just like the Father in this parable. He's not going to force us to stay with him and give him attention. He lets us go our own way. And yes, he's hurt and rejected by that. And he has every right to walk away, to leave us to our own destiny. But that is the opposite of how he reacts. So back to the parable. Things go wrong for the younger son. His money is spent. His friends are gone. He is alone. He's got nothing left and he finds himself starving and in need. He didn't expect this to happen. He didn't put his savings aside. He didn't invest wisely. And he thought he had friends. He thought he had what he needed to make him happy. But instead, the parable tells us he is starving and he finds himself working in the field with pigs. Pigs in this story are not just a random dirty animal that Jesus uses. Pigs are here in this story to help the Pharisees, who are one of the groups listening, to understand how far the, far the, the son has fallen. Because this is a respectable Jewish boy, young, young man, who's taken himself off far from home and is now working in the lowest, with the lowest of the low. Because pigs to the Jews were unclean. Yes, they were literally muddy and filthy, but actually, they were ceremonially unclean. God had instructed his people not to have anything to do with them. 
because they were called to be clean, to be pure, to be set apart from God, for God, and to live for him. So the, the symbol of this is the youngest son is in the deepest pit of filth. We don't even know even if he gets to eat the pods of the pigs because no one gives him anything. And the consequences of that selfish life have led him to the darkest place, to despair. He's wasting away and he's feeling hopeless and close to death. In my gap year, I went to Hong Kong for a year and I'd grown up in a Christian family and I felt, frankly, that it was a wonderful opportunity to get away and make my own life and have a lot of fun. And in many ways I did. I, I was a Christian, I'd grown up believing in Jesus, but during that year I ignored God completely. And I enjoyed the life that a young woman in an expat world with no real responsibilities, but lots of opportunities for parties and meeting people and life and doing what I wanted was exactly what I wanted to do. But during that year, whilst on the service, it looked like I was having a great time. I was lonely and I was sad. I cried a lot, which was weird because I kept going to parties. I didn't understand that. Things just didn't feel right. I was uncomfortable. And as I look back, I know that deep down, I was feeling that life was pretty pointless and empty and that something was lacking in the way I was living. However, when I came home, I told my family I didn't want to be a Christian anymore and I didn't want to follow Jesus. It didn't last very long because I ended up in a conversation with a rather over-enthusiastic new Christian who told me about Jesus again, and I'd heard it a million times. But that was the time when I came to know my Heavenly Father as the one who forgives me. And if you look in the parable, that was the time when I began to come to my senses. You see, the younger son comes to his senses. This is the beginning, this pivotal moment here is the beginning, I believe, of change. The beginning of when he turns away from his old life and turns back towards going in the direction of his true home with his father. He begins to see his offense against God and against his father and understand the consequences of his selfish behavior. I don't think his plan is entirely selfless, if you have a look at it in the, in the story. He still wants to be comfortable and no, longer and no longer hungry. So he decides, I'll go home. I won't live on the estate again. Um, I won't move back to my old room. I'll ask my father if I can just be a servant and not a son. And perhaps he will find somewhere else for him to live, maybe outside the home, but at least with food. That would have been so much better than the situation he was in. And perhaps if he works really hard, the younger son can pay back all he owns and uh, feel less guilty about what he's done and maybe become a bit more respectable again because he's got a lot of work to do, a lot of effort to be made. What's the best that we would expect in this situation? What would be the best that we would expect of a family who'd been treated so appallingly by their child? Wouldn't we expect them to pay the price for what they've done? Wouldn't we expect them to work hard to get back in their parents' good books and earn their trust? Wouldn't some people just think, well, he deserves it, frankly? You reap what you sow. There are always consequences in our world to bad behavior. 
tough love. Got to get them to sort it out. People need to learn from their mistakes. They need to face a bit of punishment in order to grow up and realize what they've done. But this is what makes the response in this parable extraordinary. And this is what we are going to spend the weeks to come looking at uh, as we go through our sermon series. Because where the heart of the problem, the son's problem is his sin against his father and against himself, the heart of the father is love and compassion. Have the next slide up. Verse 20 says this, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You see, the father in this story does not react in the way the world would expect him to. He doesn't wait for the son to grovel before him, give him a lecture about debt repayment. The father here is looking for his son. It's quite likely he'd been looking for him every day. And when he does see him, he's not sitting in his rocking chair, looking menacing and angry and thinking this better be good. Instead, he's filled with compassion and love and he runs. He runs. And compassion isn't just kindness. It means that the father was so deeply moved in his very bowels, is what it means, that he runs. A respectable middle-aged, middle-aged, respectable Middle Eastern and probably middle-aged man did not run. It was not the done thing. It's utter emotional, loving abandonment for his son. And he can do nothing else. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. But you see, the son would have come straight from the pigs. He didn't have a shower on his way home. He wouldn't have put on some new clothes and got ready to meet his dad because he didn't have anything. No one had given him anything or any food. So he wasn't going to get a nice bath and a new outfit. This young man is coming home stinking of pigs, covered in filth from the fields. And he was probably expecting some punishment. And yet his father holds his stinking son in his arms. The father here doesn't react the way we imagine. And our heavenly father does not react the way we imagine or we expect when we come to him. Because we've ignored and rebelled against him and yet he longs to hold us in his arms and welcome us home. Because you and I are all covered in filth. In turning our backs on God and making other things important, we've chosen to sit in the filth of our sin. And it's impossible for us to clean ourselves up. We've gone so far from God. And we've looked at all sorts of other things to find meaning. Things that don't last. Things that in the end are going to fade away, whether we have loads of money and a nice house or whatever it is, will fade away and leave us with nothing. If only we would come to our senses and journey back to the one who truly loves us, he would throw his arms around us and welcome us home into his family for good. His love makes no sense. It's outrageous grace. We don't deserve it and we can't earn it, but we can receive it from our Heavenly Father. 
It's interesting in the next verse, which we'll think about in weeks to come, that the father holds his son in his arms and the son's plan, his plan fades to nothing. He gets as far as acknowledging his sin and rebellion, but no time to explain the plan that he has to work his way back into his good books. In that moment, he realizes he is loved. And I think in that moment, the younger son knows what true repentance is completely about. He realizes what he, who he is, where he belongs, who it is that really loves him and is alongside him when he's broken with nothing to offer. And he is deeply, wholeheartedly sorry. We are welcomed into the Father's arms because at the cross of Jesus, he took on our filth and our sin and washed us clean. We can't do it ourselves because our nature is to ignore God. Only Jesus can. He paid the price. He took the punishment for all our sin and rebelliousness. He paid it for all people, for the tax collectors, for the Pharisees, for the religious, for the rebellious younger brothers who feel so far away from God. He's paid it for those of us who've been coming to church for years and who perhaps still think if we work hard, we'll be acceptable to God through our right behavior or maybe through being, doing lots of religious activity. He's paid for those who are suffering and broken and poor and desperate and sad and unhappy and alone and sick and depressed. We can come to him, whatever our past, whatever stinking state we feel we're in, and he is there welcoming us into his family, but only because of Jesus. That, my friends, is grace. God's undeserved kindness to us, poured out in overwhelming, generous compassion through Jesus' death on a cross in our place. We're going to hear so much more about that wonderful grace in the weeks to come as we look at this parable in quite a lot of detail together. First, though, I just want us to spend a bit of time in quiet. And we're going, the band's going to play, and then we're going to sing and join them. But I just want you to think maybe about three things. Some of us here, perhaps, just want the things that God provides, but not God himself. Maybe we think we're being really independent. We want to enjoy his world, but we don't actually want anything to do with God. True repentance means turning around, away from the way we're going, in God's direction. Those of us who've been, who are Christians and have been Christians for a long time, we still need to repent. Those of us who are not, for the first time, we can turn, walk into the loving arms of Jesus. And some of us are ready to come home to the Father. Some of us are desperate to be held by him. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or how filthy you feel today, you're loved, you are accepted, and you are very, very welcome into the arms of the Father. So let's pray. Let's listen to the band, and then James can bring us all in um, as, and we can sing together.